0: This is the Commonwealth City Church podcast. Thanks for listening. Commonwealth is a church in Lexington, Kentucky. For more info, visit our website at CommonwealthCityChurch.com and follow us on Instagram at ComCityChurch. We hope you enjoy the message. 1 Peter 3, 1-7 Wives, in the same way submit yourselves to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. You guys can be seated.
1: As we get started today, uh, thank you for reading that, and thank you to our worship squad for for getting us started this morning and going to the throne. Um, I... I'm going to be honest, I feel like I could lighten the mood of a difficult verse or a difficult passage like that, or even kind of bring some, some clarity. I'm like, oh, this is a difficult passage. But I, I really don't want to do that today. I, I want to just say this at the start. Um, and it really starts with, with a posture of understanding. People have done a lot of wrong things with authority. They have. Whether it's husbands, whether it's leaders, whether it's bosses, they've done a lot of improper things with authority. People have been hurt by authority. People have been oppressed by authority. It's a trigger word, and it makes sense. But before we get to these understanding of these verses, I want to be clear, really crystal clear. The authority that we teach with today, it's not mine. That's Andrew's. It's not any man's, it's not any elders of this church. We don't stand here and demand authority based on our ability or our experience or our title or specifically our gender. The authority in which we lead and shepherd this church and how we teach and how we encourage and exhort, our authority is in this. It's in the Word of God. And I want to be really just... I, and again, we, we assume this every week, but I feel like it's verses like this that kind of draw our attention to this in a unique way. We hold this up, and all of us, from myself to you to everyone here, we are called to submit ourselves to this as an authority in our lives, and it's not a burdensome word for us. It's not. It's freeing and a worshiping word, and we love it. Like to, to follow Jesus is to love his word. It's to love his church. It's to love his word. And this word, it shapes us. It finds us. It instructs us. This word encourages us. It corrects us when needed. This word tells the story of Jesus. And not just tells the story, it glorifies Jesus, is what this word does. This word is good news. Now, we can go to CNN or Fox News, as some of you probably did this week, being the election. And... Uh, you can find lots of news on Fox News and CNN, and most of it ain't good. Most of it's tragic. Most of it's broken. Most of it is hard. It's, it's, it's full of despair. But we go to this, we find good news. We find really good news at this. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, if, if we go to this, like we're doing today, and we've stumble upon something that doesn't feel like good news, we've got to investigate that a little bit. We've got to read, read, lean into that. Our confession is we believe this is a life-giving word. Not just these verses today, but this in its entirety is a life-giving word. And more than its purpose be for our compliance or our obedience or our understanding or our interpretation, I would argue that the chief purpose of this word is that we might see and enjoy and worship Jesus. That's the chief. It has lots of purposes, but the chief among them be that we see and enjoy and worship Jesus. In fact, if you know anything about, there's this thing called the Westminster Catechism. It says that the chief end of man is to, is to love God and enjoy him forever. You know, and, and this word invites us to start that process. So... so our confession here is that face value, if these verses don't feel very life-giving, then we got to come, we got to do a little digging. Is the news bad or do we bring some, do we bring some perspective or some baggage to the, to the party, okay? Do words like subject and submit and weaker, do they send a shiver down your spine, all right? Like, whoa, I don't know, we've been talking about this today. Because the truth is there have been people that have wrongly used this to objectify or demean or oppress women or wives, and specifically even in abusive marriage scenarios, but we got to remember our confession, that we believe this brings life and freedom and joy. And so even in a culture that has amplified these verses as constricting and as oppressive, we are invited to actually see that there's still worship to do in this text in spite of what our prevailing culture might suggest. And for starters, there are a lot of talking points in this, Right? There's a lot of potential rabbit trails and agendas for us to jump off of, Um, and we'll deal with some of those, but I want to start by getting this text right, as much right as I know how to get it. Uh, And I want to start with the word likewise, as Morgan Retchie said, in the same way. I want to draw us to to that verse in in verse 3, likewise wives, likewise wives. Why is this interesting that, that Peter used the word likewise? Um, because we have to understand that we don 't just get the one of the reasons we preach through the entirety of a Bible is for us to understand maybe a larger context or a larger discourse. This is the third of three relationship dynamics that the Apostle Peter is talking about how we live in a way that honors God. If you remember if we can do some review in, in, first, or in first Peter chapter one, he, he talks about that there 's an emphasis on on living um, enduring enduring as believers because we're exiles to an emperor we didn't ask for, right? Like that was the end of 1 Peter 1, that we honor the emperor even if he's not representative of us, right? And in our freedom, we can submit ourselves, there's that fun word again, submit ourselves to a land, to a government, to a place, much like Jeremiah 29 in the Old Testament. I know it's got our favorite verse in it, 29 11, for God knows the plans he has for you. But if you read the rest of that chapter, he says, hey, listen, uh, you want to be rescued out of this captivity? I actually want you to live there for generations and love the people there and love the land there. Even though they're going to oppress you and enslave you, I want you to bloom where you're planted because I know what's best for you, says the Lord. Plans not to harm you, but to give you a hope in the future. And so in kind of channeling that, live as exiles, even in submission to an emperor, disagree with and endure well for the kingdom. That's relationship dynamic number one. Number two is in 1 Peter chapter 2, and it's about servants and masters. Um, I had the, the honor of being able to preach through that, about how even in unjust relationships, we can live in a way that honors the Lord. And then this is relationship dynamic number three, husbands and wives. So it moves from, it moves from most general to most in, intimate. I want you to see that, that flow, that construct. Um, but also in all three categories, the emphasis is on endurance. The emphasis is on how we continue to be kingdom people in a circumstance that might sometimes um, try to draw something else out of us. And and, and specifically in verse chapter three here, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. There's there's a, a reason, there's a motivation to be subject and that's for the purpose of evangelism. It's an emphasis on evangelism. Do you see that? That even if some, so, so it paints the picture. Be, be subject to your own husbands, generally speaking, your Christian, Christ following husbands. But even if they aren't, even if the person that you are bound to and linked to and in commitment to and, and covenanted with, even if they don't obey the word, they might be won by the conduct of their wives. There's an emphasis on evangelism to win your spouse for Christ or to sanctify your spouse. We can zoom out a little bit, right? Like the way that a wife exists in the relationship with her husband has an emphasis and a motivation to either evangelize them in the gospel or to sanctify them in the gospel. This is really important for us to understand that this is the framework for his argument. Now I want to celebrate the unique evangelism, unique evangelism that women have specifically. There is something about the way women live and care, and see their friends and their family about how they nurture, about how they love, about how they serve, about how they lead, about how they create, about how they dream. There is something significant about how women do that, that God delights in using you for unique evangelism opportunities, for unique opportunities to display the glory of God in your life. Timothy, a few pages over in first and second Timothy, Paul actually, he's the author there, Peter's the author here. Paul's writing to Timothy, and he starts off, I think, 2 Timothy, by celebrating his mom and his grandmother. Like, he celebrates that Timothy's evangelism didn't come from a preacher or an apostle or a a male mentor. It came from a faithful mom and a faithful grandmother. And there's something unique about the way God desires and delights in using women for a unique, unique evangelism. Something significant about how a wife or a mom or women, there's something significant about how wife or mom or women are used for the kingdom. Uh, Peter is not actually teaching here on gender roles, okay? This is not about ministry leadership. It's not what this section of scripture is about. And and again, that's one of the places that people might veer. We're going to try to stay really true to this. Um, uh, He is writing about endurance. That's the whole construct of these relationship dynamics. He's writing about endurance. But the first thing he pairs with the role of a married woman is, how, is her unique ability to display and proclaim the best news of Jesus, and, and in this context, most notably to the person closest to her. So, so instead of, you know, when he speaks of women, instead of it immediately going to some agenda piece of, of you know, you can't, what about your leadership in the church or leadership in the home, immediately when he speaks of women, he says, your role is to, is to win your family. Your role is to win your family for the, for your king. And that's a great reminder of our mission, of what it means to be on mission with Jesus. We'll talk about that more at the end. St. Francis of Assisi has a, a famous quote that many, quite frankly, struggle with. It's, preach the gospel always and when necessary, use words. Now, I would argue that it's both. There's a greater, buy me a cup of coffee, I can explain the greater context of kind of what's going on there. Um, words, meaning written words, probably more than spoken words and written words were under a lot of um, literal fire. They were like, you know, taking the Bible out of people's hands. It's a whole, it's a whole thing. But, but he kind of famously said, when necessary, preach the gospel always, but when necessary, use words. We do have to use both. But here, Peter says, in the context of your family, women, the way you conduct your lives has the power to sanctify and even save in a unique way. The way in which you conduct your life has the power to sanctify and save in a unique way. Verses three through six. We look at this uh, passage concerning um, the adornment, how, what they wear. Now, again, lots of people, there's even whole denominational entities that have applied this generally to women, and that is not what this text is, is doing. They, you know, they've said, you know, women shouldn't wear makeup, they shouldn't wear jewelry, they, no manicures and pedicures, <laughs> you know, like nothing shiny or impressive. Okay, that, that is not Peter's suggestion in this text, is that women like, always appear to be homely, Okay. What he is saying here is actually a reverberation with 1 Samuel 16. That man looks at the outward appearance and God looks at the heart. That when you walk into a room, you might be tempted to dress or appear in such a way that you impress the people around you. But the encouragement is actually to live in such a way that you are constantly aware of how you impress the Father because of your faithful and honest and true heart. Like that's what he really wants. And so he's saying it's, it is precious in God's sight. Don't, don't live like you are dressed in what man can provide. Live like you're dressed in what God can provide, which is the rescue of your soul. A gentle and quiet spirit doesn't mean that you're hushed. Doesn't mean that you're not allowed to talk. This is not about volume. Okay. Like when he says a gentle and quiet spirit, he's not talking about your ability to talk out loud in a gathering or, or any of that stuff. But he says a gentle and quiet spirit, he means not restless. He means not anxious. He means not enraged. He, he, he means at peace uh, and not not worried. Uh, it's not This is not a personality trait. This is a spiritual component, a, a gentle and quiet spirit. He says it's imperishable. It's the same language that Peter uses to, to understand our riches of our relationship in Christ in chapter one, that... That a gentle and quiet spirit, a spirit that is at peace and at rest in the Lord is precious in God's sight. And by the way, he will use it to sanctify or to save those closest to you. So I want you to hear this. Ladies, the way you wear peace and gentleness, whether it's in a marriage, whether it's in day-to-day life, friendships, relationships, work, the way that you wear your peace and gentleness is of immense value and is precious to the Lord. And it is directly tied with the way you lead people to Jesus. You have a unique ability to display and radiate beauty more than than anyone else can from the way you rest in the Lord. And there's some history here, right? Women throughout this whole book, all the way back. So he he gives a shout out to, to one at the very beginning, one of the great matriarchs has displayed this beauty that Peter is talking about. He goes all the way back to, to, to Sarah, um, that Sarah obeyed Abraham. Now, I don't know if you know this story, um, but Abraham was kind of the first guy that God kind of tabbed and was like, hey, uh, you're going to be the father of a great nation. You're going to be the father of many nations. Some of you grew up in church where you sing a song about Father Abraham and his many sons. Some of you didn't get that illustration at all, At all, and I'm not going to sing it, Blake, although I do love you. Um, and if you don't, maybe YouTube it, I guess. I don't know. Maybe it'll be on there. Um, anyway, God sees Abraham and he says, you, Abraham, are going to be the father of many nations. And Abraham's like, there's a problem. I'm old and we can't have kids. That's the problem. So much so that when he tells his wife about this promise, she laughs. <laughs> She's like, I can't have kids. And we tried, we've been down this road. This is just not going to happen. This is not for me and yet, yet, even though Abraham's vision from the Lord sounded insane to Sarah to the point that she snickered about it, she trusted him. She didn't think of him as a God. Okay, now I know it says the word Lord in there. Again, some context. She didn't think of him as a God. She said yes to following Abraham because Abraham said yes to following the Lord. And this is really important for us. This church does not celebrate Christ-like male headship with an emphasis on being male. This church celebrates Christ-like male headship with an emphasis on being Christ-like. And that is really, really important for us to get our hands around that. The emphasis is on people that honor and live like Jesus in the same way that Jesus valued and elevated and affirmed Women in the Gospels should be the background for verses like this. Most people use that as actually contrast to verses like this. Well, didn't you say Jesus in the Gospels, he did this for women, and how could this be, blah, 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 blah. It's like, no, 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 these are the same voice. The same voice that elevated and, and loved and cherished and treasured and, and, and affirmed women in the Gospels it does it right here. It's just, in a, it's just in, a different, in a different stanza of a different song. And it's really important for us to recognize that. Secondly, specifically, in this passage, women are to be submissive to their husbands, not men generally. This doesn't say women be submissive to men. It says wives be submissive to husbands. And that is also a really important understanding. In every context of instructions for marriage relationships, there is always the assumption that both the husband and the wife are Christ followers. This is the exception to the rule. Or Peter even offers that even if, even if, so all the other places it's that these are two people that are that are seeking and, and following the Lord. But even if the husband's not in the case to the wives, even if you might win him for Christ, Peter discusses here that 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 you can win someone that even doesn't obey for Christ. This passage is the exception. The general rule is that when the Bible celebrates the complementary complementary relationship in both a marriage and even in a church. The emphasis on headship of a man is that they actually model Jesus. That they actually model Jesus. And that's a pretty tall task. Not many of us do that really well. Every biblical framework for a wife expecting her husband to lead and serve is that he lead and serve just like Jesus. And now listen, there are times when we don't. And there are times that are going to require endurance, which is what this section is all about. To apply this, my wife Maria What I've noticed, we've not been married that long, but what I've noticed is that she has no hesitation in following my leadership when she knows I'm following Jesus. None. But, but, there are times that I struggle in my own obedience. There are times that I lead out of pride or out of insecurity or out of worry or out of anxiety or out of fear. And in those moments that I'm struggling in my own obedience, Leadership, my own obedience, my own pursuit of Jesus, the way she adores herself, adorns herself with beauty, doesn't win me in the sense that it saves me, but it sure does sanctify me. The way that she speaks to my insecurity doesn't demean or disrespect me, but it sure does lead me to Jesus. The way that she speaks to the things that I am worried about or that maybe I am prideful in. And sometimes she speaks just by the way she loves. It's actually not a word at all. It's a vibe, if you will. (laughs) She gives off a vibe to me. My wife is beautiful for a lot of reasons, but perhaps one of the most beautiful things about her is her very commitment to being a Colossians 128 person or woman. If you know that verse, you might have heard it before. It says, to this we labor and toil, to present everyone mature in Christ. That doesn't belong to the pastor. That text doesn't belong to the pastor. That text belongs to everybody. And I can say with certainty that my wife presents a beauty and a willingness and a commitment to present everyone mature in Christ. And those that she has the best shot at influencing and presenting mature mature in Christ are me and Charlotte and Gwendolyn. That's who she's got the best shot at. For this, she labors and toils. And the way she carries her inner peace and gentleness that's precious in the sight of the Lord invites her whole family to look a little bit more like Jesus. I think That's the encouragement of verses 1 through 6. Now we make a hard turn. Verse 7. doesn't really let up. Um, let's read verse 7 together. Likewise, there's our word again. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you, of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. I want to point out something as we get started. Heirs with you is a is a is a phrase of equality. Okay, so there's a there's something here about strong and weak, but it's not about equ- different values. It's 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 there's still an equality. We are heirs, equal with one another, of the grace of life. Now now our eyes tend to go directly to, oh my gosh. The Bible says women are weaker, okay? I get it. That's the first place all of our eyes go. I just want to say this. This verse is not about value. This verse is not about ability, it's meaning that a, a woman has a weaker value or a weaker ability. This is not about giftedness. This is not about competency or intelligence or capacity. But in fact, these ver- this verse is, really has two phrases that are that are very intentionally tied together. The first one is, an understanding way, and the second one is um, honoring the woman as the weaker vessel. When I was in seminary, I sat under the leadership of a guy named Dr. Randy Stinson. He was a family, uh, like a counseling and and stuff like that. We we got to this verse in our seminary class. Dr. Stinson, he told the story of growing up in a house full of boys. Uh, He and his wife have four sons. Or they did at the time. I don't know. They might have added to their family at this point. That was about 10 years ago that I was in his, under his leadership. And He said in their house, they've discovered that when it comes to their dining experiences, the best, that they, the best choice they can make for their family is to always have plastic plates. Okay? Now, if you've been raised in a house full of boys, you understand exactly why that is. Because at any point, um, your plate could also be a shield or a frisbee, right? Like at any point. You just don't know when those things are going to break out. Maybe it's a frisbee across the room, maybe it's a shield up to defend, you know, maybe it's like a wrestling move, like steel chair to the head, you know, any of those things. And that they just needed to double, they, they needed the, the plates to be multi, uh, have multi-use, multi-purpose. And so they went with plastic plateware. He also said that uh, in the context of their family sitting behind their kitchen table is a big cabinet. It's got dust on the top, it's rarely opened and rarely used And inside that cabinet is fine china that was a wedding gift to them, okay? Um, He said, you know, when it comes to our family, we don't get the fine china out very much because, again, frisbee, shield, wrestling move, all these things can happen. We keep the fine china kind of put up in the cabinet. And he goes to say, when it comes to um, value, it's clear that the china is worth more than the plates. If we were uh, the plastic plateware, if we were basing... Our, our decision uh, of of use from of plates on value clearly the China is going to win every time, but when it comes to durability, you'd always want to pick the plastic plate over the fine china. The fine china, high in value, low in structural integrity. The plastic plate, high in durability. You know, maybe a little bit lower in value. And I don't say that as a, as, a, as a comparison of value. I say that to say that this verse, this whole section, this whole context, this, all this discourse, Peter's not talking about value at all. In fact, in, in, in Peter chapter 2, he, he says that we are, we are, we are called out, a ro- chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that we are co heirs in the grace of life. Like, it's not about value. But most of what he's arguing and most of what he's encouraging and exhorting over these these chapters of 1 Peter 1, 2, and 3 is about endurance and specifically durability. So why do I bring this up? Why do I bring this up? Why do I bring up the example that the plastic plates are stronger than the fine china? Not because they're of of, of more value, but because they're of greater durability Because it's important for us to live, remember I said these things are tied, live with wives in an understanding way and and honoring as a weaker vessel. A, A question that we ask often as we preach and teach, go to the scriptures, is where do we find Jesus? Where do we find Jesus in the text? You know, Trey just recently graduated from seminary and one of his seminary professors, a good friend of mine, like we've got to hear him say this a lot as he leads classes on how to be better preachers and better expositors of the word. Where do we see Jesus in the text? Well, he's right, he's right here. He's right here. You know, Christmas is just around the corner, as Butch so delicately put it, as a runaway freight train <laughs> um, for us. Uh, if you don't believe me, go to Hobby Lobby or Cracker Barrel. You will see that Christmas is around the corner. In fairness, it's kind of 12 months in Hobby Lobby, so can't really argue with that. Uh, every year at Christmas is one of my favorite, one of my favorite traditions is to, is to listen to a an album, a musical called "Behold the Lamb" by a guy named Andrew Peterson. And a few times we have gotten to see their concert together. A lot of times it's in Nashville at the Rhyme Theater. It's one of my favorite places to go. And the second hour of their production is the musical "Behold the Lamb." Um, if you've not checked it out, you should. It's it's a it's an awesome narrative journey through the biblical understanding of the incarnation of Christ, the coming of our Messiah. Um, but the first hour, hour and a half, he kind of like lets some friends that are singer-songwriters that are part of the production kind of have a moment on stage. And there's one, uh, one singer-songwriter that I've become a fan of. Her name is Jess Ray. I don't know if you've heard of Jess Ray before. If not, you should check her out as well. Free Spotify shout out to Jess Ray. And Jess Ray has a song called Gloria, Gloria, and it's all about Christmas. And uh, the, the chorus of the song talks about, you know, the incarnation of Christ. And it says, Gloria, Gloria. God has come to understand us. God has come to understand us. The incarnation of Jesus, meaning the moment where he put on flesh and dwelt among us, is God's promise and commitment to understand us. Some of, some of us have seen the He Gets Us campaign, and you might have differing opinions about the appropriateness of the you know, ad campaign for Jesus. I, 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 I'm not talking about that. but But the He Gets Us campaign is another reminder that God... Exist to understand us. And how does Jesus understand us? That's a good question. Well, he saw us, he saw our brokenness, he saw our pain and he saw our suffering. And in Matthew chapter 9, it says that he saw us and he had compassion on us because we were harassed and helpless. Does that sound like somebody that's strong or weak to you? Harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He saw that we in our and our brokenness were incredibly weak. And in his strength, a strength that only he can have, he took the payment for our sin and he gifted us, gifted us his righteousness. Now, before you jump to any conclusions, I'm not saying that husbands are to be the savior in their marriage or their relationships. Okay, that's not the conclusion I'm jumping to. The conclusion I'm jumping to is husbands This acknowledgement of your wife's weakness isn't to fuel your pride or to make you feel strong. It's to stir within you that you have a divine perspective to the front rows of her weakest moments and her weakest emotions and her weakest parts in the same way that our Savior had a front row seat to mine and to yours. You get that divine perspective and you're able to care for her to sacrifice for her, to serve her, and to shoulder for her exactly what Jesus would for us, modeling what Christ did for us. You aren't God over her. That is not what this verse is about. But you get to serve her in even her weakness like Jesus did for us. The scriptures say to husbands that we see the weakness of our wife to do two things. One, to stir our affections for the one that saw the weakness in you. Any time I see the weakness in somebody else, I should be reminded of the weakness Jesus saw in me, and the weakness Jesus saw in you. That we were like sheep without a shepherd, helpless and harassed. And it was with great compassion that He sees us. And two, it should number two. We see the weakness of our wife. It should prompt our sacrificial servanthood for the glory of our King. Now I know the emphasis on evangelism. Here is for the woman in and, and, and verses 1 through 6, but I'm telling you that all of us, men and women, all of us, play a unique part in God's mission for the world. And one of the ways men get to display the goodness of God is in the way that we don't demean or we don't belittle or that we don't disrespect or we don't dishonor the weakness of our spouses or the women in our life but we leverage our life to elevate them, to love them, to serve them, to honor them, to cherish them, to treasure them in an understanding way, just like God understood us through a lens of perfect and relentless grace. That's the invitation we get. And what's his promise there? What's his promise? That if you live your life honoring your wife, honoring your wife, men, if you live your life honoring your wife in the overflow of the gospel that saved you, your prayer life and your communion with the Father and your devotion in the Lord will flourish. Your prayers will not be hindered. And it doesn't mean they'll be hindered because it's in the way. It means it'll be a natural overflow. You will find yourself naturally devoted and naturally communing with the God of all creation in the way that the gospel, that the gospel motivates the way that you live in an understanding way with your wife, with your daughters, with your kids, and even with others. It it goes beyond here but this is the most intimate form of it, right? That's not the only people we're to live in a gospel understanding way with. It just has to start there. Shame on us if we have more gospel understanding for our neighbors than we do our wives and kids, men. Shame on us if we have more understanding for the gospel, for the unreached people groups than we do the people in our house. And we need them for that too. But it starts at home and ripples out. And I think that's the, that's the invitation to us here is that we might live in such a way that our very devotion and communion with the Lord will flourish. So what are our applications and takeaways today? I just want to touch on these again. Ladies, God has created you for mission. It's in your very nature. It's in the way you relate. It's in the way you understand the world. It's in the way he uniquely designed you to love others, to minister to others, and specifically in this verse, intimately speaking, even your husbands. You're called to his mission. But you also are his mission, and you need to know that too, that he came for you, that even if you find yourself enduring a less than ideal relationship, he came for you. If your husband doesn't understand you, your heavenly father does. I need you need to hear that truth today. If there's a man in your life that doesn't understand you, I'm sorry but your heavenly father does, and if you tragically have experienced abuse in male headship or leadership, you need to know that, that God the father still came for you came for you. You have a good and better husband than Jesus. One whose leadership is never oppressive, but always leaves you thriving. And then you're to live out of that overflow. You're to clothe yourself in that, and the rest of the Lord. I, I do every wedding. I, I always do the charge to the husband and the wife before the giving away of the bride. And I always do it from Colossians chapter three. Put on then compassion and kindness. Put on then um, understanding hearts, forgiving one another, bearing with one another as Christ forgave you, and I think the same thing is here. Clothe yourself in Colossians three. Put on then compassion and kindness. Rest in the Lord, that that might be how you're how you're seen. Men, the Lord longs for you for you to love your wife like like Jesus loves the church. You're invited to live with her in an understanding way, just not just from the actions or attitudes or postures from you, but but to live with her in an understanding way, that you have a divine invitation to understand like Jesus, to let the gospel infect your understanding. Let me think about that, guys. To Let the gospel of Jesus infect the way that you understand and interpret the world. My confession is I tend to let logic and reason, sometimes even correction or pessimism, be my lens. But this application for me, and even ultimately for us, is to let the gospel affect our eyesight. What if our wives, or if you're not married in the room, guys, your future wives, or our kids, or our future kids, What if they knew us to be the people that saw through a lens of grace more than anything? How would that change our families, the outcomes of our families? What if they knew us to have a lens of God-honoring grace more than anything? How might our very homes be different? And then lastly, lastly, really the, the invitation for both of these postures, men and women, is that we fall more in love and worship the God who understands us, who found us, who saved us, who didn't leave us, who didn't demean us, who didn't, who didn't uh, you know, poke fun at our weakness, but saved us. And if we understand that, how might we come to the table in celebration of who He is? And if you're coming to this table today as a married couple, if you're in the room, I just ask that you take this communion together, even as just a recognition of what it means to, to exhibit the sanctifying work and the Gracious work of Jesus in your relationship. I ask that you come to the table and do that together today, or you can take it back to your seat and do it. Um, if you're a man and a woman that, that is not married or not in a, not in a forever relationship with, with someone yet, or maybe ever, um, that doesn't mean that these same emphasis aren't there for you. Um, you still come to the table today in a way that doesn't hinder your prayers because you're so obsessed with how Jesus saw you in an understanding way with how he came for you, with how he saved you, and how he sustained you. And so you come today with unhindered devotion because of the way you are cherished and honored and valued and beloved by the God of all creation. And so we take today his body and his blood, something that symbolizes it, and we remember him as we, as we live and overflow of the gospel. Let's pray today. Um, Lord, thank you so much for the truth of this word today. I don't know how this lands on people. I know for me, I don't know how they're invited to, to worship in this. I don't know if they're frustrated with the way that we opened the text. I don't know if, if they're overjoyed. But Lord, what I pray, what I pray, what I've prayed all week, what I pray today, is that you just reveal yourself to us to be the one that understood us, honors us in an understanding way as, as uh, someone that was in, incredibly fragile and helpless and hopeless. But in your strength and in your perfection and in your grace, you found us and saved us. Lord, may we start there. And so today I just pray that that just resonate in our lives. God, I, I pray uh, for people that have read this passage today, and maybe they've experienced anything and everything but uh, these kind of relationship dynamics that have been God-honoring. Lord, I pray that you just lead them to peace. I pray that you show them that you see them. I pray that you show them that you uh, understand them, and I pray that uh, that you just give them rest for their souls. And Lord, today for for the husbands and wives in the room that want to take today in stride, take today in uh, worship of you. Lord, I pray that you just give us courage and boldness uh, to not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the way that we allow your word to renew our minds. Um, so, Lord, teach us and train us to be men and women that love you, that honor you, and that display you in all we do. For this, we labor and toil that we present everyone our husbands, our wives, our neighbors, our kids, our coworkers, everyone but you're in Christ. In your name we pray, amen.